Welcome to Beyond Standards, your source for authentic discussions about the world of teaching. Get ready to explore challenges, share inspiring stories, and discover strategies that will empower you to make a lasting impact on your students. Here are your hosts, who are trying to master the fine art of maintaining their sanity while managing a classroom, Joe Rohrhoff and Jeff Bologna. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode eight of the Beyond Standards podcast. Uh, I am uh, so fired up for this episode. We are basically going to jump right into it today to to our topic. Our topic is one that we've actually has come up a couple times on our show and we kept saying, oh, we got to do an episode about that. And uh, here we are. Our topic today is artificial intelligence or uh, AI in the classroom. Uh, But before we jump into that, uh, Jeff, how are you doing today? Joe, as always, it's always great to be with you here uh, recording these these uh, informational podcasts. Hopefully our listeners are enjoying all of our episodes, um, especially last week. You know, hopefully you, you thought about what you're thankful for as a teacher like we did um, and all that good stuff. But, you know, when we were planning this episode, I was I told you today in school, Joe, that this is one where I can just sit back and listen because I don't really know a lot about this topic. <laughs> so our, our guest that we're going to be introducing here momentarily um, I remember coming back from our PD we had back in early November, and, and we talked about it on our podcast, how it was one of the most beneficial PDs we've had in Northville Public Schools because it was something we could take the next day and we could use it in our classroom. And so when you said you know, who our guest was going to be, I was like, I'm just going to sit back and kind of listen to what he has to say and take some notes because I'm sure it's going to be beneficial for me. Hopefully our listeners uh, enjoy it as well. That's our goal for the episode today. Hopefully our listeners walk away this, I'll walk, walk away from the podcast the same way we walked away from that PD with a couple tips, with some more information, some background information on AI and how it can help us as teachers, how you know we can use it to help our students and to just overall Im- improve our classroom environment, use technology to, to make our students experience better. With that, Jeff, do you want to go ahead and introduce our guest today? Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Joe. Um, I'm just honored to have this uh, gentleman with us. He is the assistant director of district programming for Michigan Virtual. Um, he's, you know, been in the education field for nearly a decade, and I'm sure he'll correct me as as we go through this. Working, um, this is his bio off of Michigan Virtual's website. Working to innovate and refine to make learning a better experience for all. Uh, for those of all ages, it sounds like AI wrote that, uh, to be honest. <laughs> um, but prior to working, uh, you know, in for Michigan Virtual, he was an eighth grade social studies teacher, just like you, Joe, um, back home in his home state of Louisiana. But um, we are able to listen to Justin talk, and so we are just so excited that he's able to join us tonight uh, for this episode. So uh, please welcome to the Beyond Podcast, uh, Beyond Standards Podcast, Justin Bruno. Thank you, Justin, for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Joe and Jeff, for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. And it sounds like I get to talk to uh, folks who are at different stages of familiarity or maybe embracing of these. So I think it's going to be a really good conversation. Yeah, that's probably true with all the teacher groups that you talk to, right? You get the, the high level, the low level, the people that love it and the people that are scared of it. Yeah, that's what makes it like one of the most difficult things I've ever had to go and present on, right? Because you've got some people who might even know more than I do because they have more time to spend like toying and experimenting, or I'm mostly just worried about like how to communicate about these things and think about some of the higher level observations. Um, and then you've got people who are asking me like, how is this different from Google? And I'm like, well, right. that's a, that's a really basic question that I could definitely answer. Um, but, but, but yeah, it's, it's all over the place. 
Awesome. That's right. Thank you, Justin, for joining us. Hey, can you just, you know, provide us a little brief overview background of your experience, your expertise in education, in AI, just so our listeners can get an idea of who you are and where you come from? Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned I'm from Louisiana. Um, I was a middle school social studies teacher there, moved to Michigan um, over over a decade ago now and wound up at Michigan Virtual and kind of worked in many different areas in Michigan Virtual where I could kind of use my teaching background and expertise, working in research, working in policy, um, focus on like online learning, digital learning and things like that. Um, eventually wound up on our professional learning team. So we at Michigan Virtual, in addition to doing like courses for uh, high school students, mostly online, we also do a lot of PD. So um, I was working on our professional learning team for the last four or five years, designing PD, thinking about PD for educators in multiple different roles, uh, mostly in the realm of like technology use. And um, got to, again, design, deliver that PD, both online, face-to-face and Kind of just in the course of my work, I had heard different podcasts mentioning and reading about these this company, OpenAI. And I would probably say in May of last year, I finally sat down and started to toy with some of these tools. Um, OpenAI had something called the Playground back then, where you could basically, um, it, it looked a little bit like ChatGPT does if you play with ChatGPT, but it was much smaller in scope, uh, much less impressive in terms of what it can do now versus back then. But it was really impressive, like just from, you know, um, toying around with it for the first few times. The very first thing I did when I learned about what these tools could do, like you know, people call them like autocomplete on steroids. Um, hey. They're just ri- <laughs> yeah. write, writing text for you, right? I went to our own social studies courses, our Michigan virtual social studies courses, and just started plugging in uh, assignments from our courses and saying like, can this thing like complete an assignment to a decent level of capability? And it could. And, yeah. and I started kind of waving my arms around internally and saying like, we really need to focus on this. So May of last year was really when I started focusing on it. We did a lot of research and eventually started designing PD around it. We've got a couple courses about ChatGPT specifically. And then every time we go and give a presentation, we get asked to do five more presentations. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's really been kind of like just out of necessity how I kind of built my own. I, I'm hesitant to even call it expertise, but I, I built my own kind of familiarity and understanding of it enough to be able to go and talk about it. Compared to me, Justin, uh, I would call you an expert on uh, AI and ChatGPT. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's probably nobody that there's probably nobody that's truly an expert because it changes so much every day. But the fact that you probably know more than than just about anybody else is well, uh, is why we had you on the podcast today. Yeah. All right, hey, let's start with the basics um, for people that are maybe a little less familiar with ChatGPT or with AI in general. Could you just kind of give us a background of like? what it is and and how teachers are using it and how it's impacted the classroom. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of in my presentations basically say like AI has been all around us in some form or fashion for decades now. Um, one of the kind of most prominent examples of it coming to like into the public discussion was, um, when we started to, we, I say we, like I'm an AI researcher, but, but computer <laughs> scientists developed computers to be able to play chess, right? And so these machines that could really do one specific narrow function, they could play chess, they could beat chess grandmasters at chess. They were that good at that one specific task. Those were all created using different AI uh, techniques, computing techniques. Um, 
the the field of AI though that was in 1997 when uh, Deep Blue the computer beat yeah, Gary right. Kasparov at chess. Um, the field of AI had kind of been running into walls, I guess. There weren't a lot of breakthroughs in terms of truly automating more general tasks that um, that humans could do using these kind of computing techniques. Um, uh, what we did see, though, were like the the proliferation of algorithms. So if you use Netflix, Facebook, Amazon, all of those things are powered by algorithms, which are a form of AI that recommend things to you, right? Like what show do you want to watch tonight? What product might you like to buy? And that's all based on data that those companies and those platforms have about you as the user. Um, the big breakthrough though, or for this field and why we're all kind of talking about it in 2023 was in, um, back in 2017, a paper was released called attention is all you need. And that's when you really started to see the, the development, the further development of large language models and a form of AI called generative AI. So instead of like, recommending things for you online. They're actually kind of taking inputs from you as a user and generating all new information rather than pointing you to existing information. So that again, kind of started to bubble up in places like that I had become familiar with, not even until 2022. is released in November of last year, and it just sets off the AI kind of like arms wild, race. Wildfire. Right. Yeah. And the discussion and ev every company is an AI company now, right? right. <laughs> like in every, every product you're being sold is an AI product, right? So, um, and that's really what woke educators up to it. Not just like, you know, the capabilities of the machines, but just the, the absolute kind of prevalence of these things. ChatGPT now has 100 million weekly users. Um, it's one of the fastest adopted technologies in human history. They reached that 100 million user milestone in less than two months. And so the way I think about it is like, what was one of the first, um, most ripe places for like disruption for, for, for what ChatGPT can do? It's probably education, right? Middle school, is... middle school classroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's synthesizing information. It's generating new information, right? It's doing real thinking yeah. in front of you. And it's really scary to see that. So, um, you know, what, what, what have we seen so far? Like just since November of last year, saw a lot of schools immediately ban it. I don't blame them one bit for, for blocking it because we all as a society need to like learn more about this and play catch up at this point in time. Um, and then you've kind of seen other schools, maybe more so like in the private or charter sector do more to like really immediately embrace it. So thinking about using them as tutors or uh, teaching assistants, like helping them use them for lesson plans and things like that. So uh, it's really, it's, it's all across the board in terms of like how people are using it, what they're using it for, the level of success they're having it, having with it. I, I just said earlier today in a talk I was giving, like, we're still all at like the hypothesis phase of this, of this experiment. We're all still trying to guess like right. what is going, what this is, how this is going to impact um, education in general. We've got a lot of guesses. Every time I write or read something, uh, we're all just kind of like talking about the potential. We just don't quite know like what the actual payoffs are going to be just yet. I remember, I, I remember when it first came out, Joe, you probably remember this too. It was like, don't talk about it because if you talk about it, then the kids are going to use it. It was like, it was like, don't, yeah. don't even mention it anymore. And you know, uh, and now it's everywhere. I remember teachers saying that and I'm like, you guys go listen to your students. They are already <laughs> they, talking yeah, about it. They're like, I felt it. I was, I was like in the front part of the teacher curve of like adopting it or at least looking into it to understand what it is. And I was way behind the students and I'm, 
like telling the teachers like, Hey, there is so much that this tool can do. Just go out and mess with it. And there is so much that you'll learn, but it's here. Like the kids already know about it and they're going to use it. And it's can't be something we can hide from. Yeah. That, that Pandora's box piece is so funny, right? You've got like, I don't want to write a policy about it. Cause then I'll tell them what it is. And then they'll immediately <laughs> want to go and use it. Right. Well, like, yeah. Sure. One of my favorite um, things to look at is like the search interests, like Google search interest for ChatGPT skyrockets once it once it launches. Then it takes a dip in May and June of last year. Right. Um, I think the hypothesis is like fewer students are Googling ChatGPT to figure <laughs> yeah. out how to use it because they're not in school anymore. And figure uh, out how, how for video games, how to, how to beat Fortnite or something. Right. Exactly. Right. And so <laughs> another another interesting trend line is to look at the search interest for Minecraft. Minecraft goes up in the summer, yeah. whereas ChatGPT goes down. Then we already have the data from this past fall. They flip again in the fall. Uh, so like, I was just going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Minecraft interest fell. Um, ChatGPT interest rose again. Um, and ChatGPT is like the most popular one. That's what a lot of folks kind of get their first introduction with and use. What you also see is all these tools that have come out from different companies I call them like wrappers. So they're basically just wrapping around the same technology that ChatGPT uses. And in a lot of cases, they're making it easier for the user. So it's it's like ChatGPT for teachers, right? So it, instead of you typing into like a blank um, text prompt box, that's the hardest part of using ChatGPT is just like knowing how to talk to it and getting the results yeah. that you want. Yep. All these other companies have tried to lower that um, or I guess raise that floor a little bit and make it easier for you to use by saying like, you, why don't you just tell us the subject that you teach and the topic you're trying to teach about and maybe a standard that you're trying to hit. So you're doing like kind of piecing together what will write a prompt, what the system will write a prompt for you to do to then create a lesson plan or an assessment or um, any kind of asset that you might be using a classroom to. So I think a lot of people rightly saw like, great potential applications for teachers. They started building new tools and technologies for them using that technology too. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I know there is one tool out there that was exactly like that. It's called Diffit uh, that I've used. Yeah. And it's one that it's one that it basically you go to that website and it says, what do you want to teach? And what is grade level do you want? That's it. You put those two things in and it, spits out you know, a couple paragraphs about it, spits out a quiz and you can tell it, Hey, I want a quiz with this one. I want, you know, multiple choice. I want an essay with this one. And you just tell it what you want and it just spits it out. And I've, that's been a great resource that I've used with ESL students that I have that have never learned American history and they just moved to America. And they're so far that they haven't had the opportunity to have the content that all my other students have had. So it's, I've kind of used that as a way to catch them up without me having to reinvent the wheel. Like, Hey, go learn about the revolutionary war by typing that in. I'll yep. give her the document and they'll complete it. It's such an awesome tool. Yeah. We, we, uh, at Michigan virtual, we don't like endorse any tools, but we do want to just expose people to them. And Diffit is definitely one that we recommend just going to check out, um, Diffit magic school, um, EduAid and Class Companion are a few that we recommend checking out. They're all doing slightly different things, but variations on a theme generally, like helping you create classroom materials, uh, classroom instructional materials. Some of them do cool things like, like you can 
copy and paste a YouTube video and it'll generate like quizzes based on that YouTube video, right? Study materials, um, accommodations even like, you know, the other thing we tell people is like, buy all, um, take every possible measure to not put in personally identifiable information. You don't want to violate FERPA or anything right. like that, but you can actually use these things to generate like IEPs and 504 plans and based on like some basic characteristics of that student and some of your foreknowledge of those students. So it really can cut down a lot on that kind of like more, um, grunt work that we do as teachers, uh, in a lot of ways too. Yeah. I know there's teachers out there that have used it to help them like create their goal for the year for, for administration. And you know, anybody like uh, that, Joe, I, I mean, <laughs> I, 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 during your, uh, during your presentation, Justin, I was, you were talking about different things like that. So I'm like, type me a goal for, and I put the grade level and it came up. I was like, wow, I'll be darned. I mean, I didn't use it word <laughs> for word, but I was able to kind of piecemeal things together. It was, it worked out awesome. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of tell people like, it's really good at solving the blank page problem. Like, um, the hardest part of writing anything or starting anything is just staring at the blank page. Yeah. So if you've got, got me like, started, some, it got me started. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got some, some starter ideas or topics, or even just a box to fill in, like in some of these other tools, it'll get you started. And then you make it yours and you make it really what you're trying to make it into that works for you. In what ways can it enhance the learning experience for students? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I think this is a much naughtier question. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think the jury's still out on, you know, what sorts of net benefits we're going to get. I think it, it, things are going to change once more and more students use these tools. Um, and I think it's really just going to be incumbent on us as educators to determine like how and what tools are the most appropriate for their use. Um, I, I think, you know, in the hands of teachers using ChatGPT and some of these other tools to like differentiate for students is a really great uh, opportunity there, for, there, right? So um, you can take the same lesson, same content, and just have uh, an AI tool totally revise, but still kind of stay on theme for whatever standard you're trying to teach subject you're trying to teach, but it can be differentiated by a student's like aptitude or reading level, uh, make, making some of the content more relevant to specific student interests is really uh, a nice way to do that too, to make content more engaging or teach some of the instructional material more engaging. Um, I think that's a really kind of easily identifiable thing right now. Where, where it gets tougher to think about how it's going to work is, ChatGPT was really a general purpose tool, general purpose technology. And it's, it's not actually what it stands for, GPT, but it's just funnily enough. Oh, uh, right. The, the same, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, the same, the same thing. It, it, I, I call it like an answer machine, right? It gives you the answers. Like you ask it a question and it wants to give you the right answer in a helpful way every time. Yeah, I used um, it. I used it with my, my seventh grade son's math homework the other day because he couldn't type, he would kept typing it in wrong into this Google form. So I'm like, let's put it in chat GPT and see what it says. And you know, the answer came out how he did it. It just happened that he was putting like the, the it needed a period or something, but yeah, it, it, and it broke it down step-by-step. Step. It was awesome. Yeah. And so like thinking about the ways that the output can be helpful for like your son, even to see the steps, if, if ChatGPT can provide you that, that how those things were, was that task was executed and the explanation for that, that helps that student kind of learn and internalize, right? I, I've been toying with this idea recently of like, 
the difference between learning and performance. It's really clear that ChatGPT is going to help people in performance, right? So especially like at work, people will be able to write emails faster, create presentations more quickly, um, even you know as teachers create lesson plans more quickly. It's going to perform tasks really, really well. Learning is a whole different story because learning requires like um, a long, it's a long-term process. So, and it, and it requires kind of like thinking about what you can do or what you know now versus what you couldn't do or didn't know six months ago. Um, and it requires kind of like taking that knowledge and applying it across different contexts. And so it's much, uh, much more difficult to say like whether ChatGPT really helps kids learn because ultimately it's just helping kids solve a problem, like solve the problem, yeah. the math problem, right? Or get their work the done. Answer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So what I think is going to happen is you'll see more and more tools like ChatGPT. You've already seen a few that are like chatbots for students. So they're not just giving you the answer. They're kind of like trying to understand what that student is trying to accomplish by asking the students kind of like more and more questions like, oh, you want to know something about mitosis? Like, what do you already know about mitosis? That's a much different response than a five paragraph kind of explanation of what mitosis is like ChatGPT might give you. So what I think we'll, we'll ho hopefully see is more tools take that more kind of like tutoring approach um, and still provide a challenge for learners because I do think like um, to learn something, you do have to actually engage in some sort of like struggle or challenge at some point to truly kind of like internalize it and understand it. Um, but I also think like just, you know, even using ChatGPT, there's tons of opportunities there. I've heard of students say in like higher ed who took notes like for a whole semester, then they fed their notes into chat GPT and they said like, write me 50 study questions based on all my notes to help them really like kind of grasp the material in more depth and prepare maybe for an exam at the end of a semester. Right. Um, if you think about like, um, if we, if we have assessments uh, in K-12 that are like in different formats, like create a podcast and a presentation about a certain topic and go really deep into a certain topic, ChatGPT can help you with portions of those things, right? Like writing the script, um, helping a student like understand something and explain it in a different way, even like ChatGPT is really good at that, like coming up with analogies and metaphors and things like that, or like explain this to someone who doesn't know a thing about it, or explain this to someone who doesn't know a thing about it, but is also interested in auto racing. Like it'll yeah. come up with good metaphors for you too. So um, helping students kind of put those pieces together for larger assessments and projects, I think is a really good uh, potential there for students as well. Awesome. Thank you for that. That's great stuff. I mean, I know... I'm an English teacher. Joe teaches social studies, and, and he deals with this a little bit too. But I think the the elephant in the room with ChatGPT as teachers for the students is plagiarism, right? Um, you know, and AI. You know, we use AI detectors. What what is what is your you know what, what can you offer about you know with the, the plagiarism issue? You know, teachers using AI detectors. I remember in our in our PD, you had mentioned you probably don't do it because. The AI, it's it's changing so much that it's going to say it's not AI, those kind of things. What could you offer our listeners on that? Yeah, so AI detectors right now, I generally don't recommend. Um, I think they're fine to like use and experiment with and just see how the detectors 
get updated over time and what improvements they're able to make. But the companies that make the detectors will outright say like, this should not be used to um, penalize students or make decisions about academic integrity or plagiarism because they're just not that reliable. They can never with 100% confidence say like all of this text was written 100% by AI. They, what they've started to do is get better at saying like, with 60% confidence, yeah, I think this this por- yeah, this portion of the paper might have been generated by AI, right? So if you can use those tools to maybe facilitate discussions with your students and maybe even, you know, if the expectation was that they weren't going to use AI at all, then to like get them to tell you about their AI use, why they were using AI, I think that's a learning opportunity for a lot of students. But the, the issue becomes like, teachers just don't have time to do that for all 30 students in a classroom, right? That's just a logistics nightmare. So what I think over the long term we'll have to do is think differently about how we assess students, right? So what sort of assessments are we going to be okay with students using AI tools? And what's, what assessments are we are we going to kind of not allow their use and then kind of maximizing our time in person with our students uh, to think about how that learning happens or how that learning is assessed is going to be really key. I don't, I don't have a lot of great answers there just yet. Like, um, but I think we are going to have to just, just by the nature of the prevalence of these tools, especially when it comes to like homework, like you can ban chat GPT in your building, but if you ask students to complete work at home, they're going to have access to it. So we're going to have to think really hard about what we're asking our students to do. And even if they are using those AI tools, like um, can we ask them to do more or uh, ask them to do things that are maybe more like metacognitive in nature, like, you know, talking about their own reflections in the learning process or tying it back to their personal experience. I think you're going to see a lot more of that uh, in assessments as well. Yeah. My colleague and I, we already, her and I already discussed about, you know, instead of doing, you know, some, response paragraphs that these kids write about the book, The Outsiders, let's say, doing more discussion-based in class where the kids have to, you know, they're sitting right in front of you face-to-face and they can't, you know, they can't pull something up on, on ChatGPT and just submit it and say, here you go. So Yeah. And we talk a lot about like, you know, plagiarism and cheating has probably never been totally binary, right? It's, it's never really been like yes or no, but now with AI, it's even more of a gray area. Like what constitutes cheating? Like, um, if you were to say you can use AI for this assignment, um, that's fine, but you can't just kind of take my instructions and then plug them into ChatGPT and then copy and paste ChatGPT's response and turn it back into me, the teacher. Like that, there's no original work going on there, no like original thought going on there. So, what we kind of have to figure out is like how much or what's going to constitute original thought and original work if we use, if we allow the use of these tools. How much of editing are we going to ask our students to do or changing their prompts to get something closer to what they want or changing the output with their own words uh, to get something closer to what we want to assess for true learning. Um, That's a thing we're all going to have to kind of set our own standards and benchmarks for as teachers uh, like relatively soon, I I fear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be something we have to kind of figure out as we go. I've got a a similar story to what, what Jeff said, trying to I'm, I'm trying to incorporate AI, but obviously not make the students, you know, I want them to have to think and them to have to kind of synthesize what AI tells them. And I always, every year I do a debate on Andrew Jackson. And my thought this year is, 
hey, you can use AI to prepare yourself for the debate and write an outline. And here's the things that you're going to need to talk about. Um, and but you write all the notes you want, but and and organize your information. But it's just you on the debate floor. Like you're not going to have a computer in front of you, so you have to be able to not only know what you're saying, not just recite it, but be able to answer questions when the other when the other opposing debate team asks you questions. You have to be able to, to kind of defend your answer as well. I love that. Yeah, whatever we can do to kind of encourage more of that, like authentic and in person, and kind of like the honing of those skills also, I think is really important. You know, it's for us, for us as educators to think about, you know, assuming ChatGPT is only going to get better in the next four or five years, like, and just how good it's going to be is it is an open kind of topic of debate. Like, will we have things that could be just as good at humans at, at most things? Like, that's a scary thought, but it's also something we should probably entertain the thought of to think about like what the purpose of school and education really is. Right. Like I, I, I think uh, an activity like a debate where you're conversing with another human, um, that's a really important skill to have, like yep. just outside of school. Right. Like the, some of the most important things I learned in school were just like how to sit at a table and understand like, and communicate with other people and have some degree of emotional intelligence and be able to connect with someone and understand what they were, uh, what they're communicating and how to connect it to my own thoughts and feelings. Right. I think we're going to have to incorporate a lot more of that in our schoolwork um, as machines get more and more capable. Right. All right. Uh, let's jump into uh, ethical considerations. I know ethics around AI, this is kind of a good transition talking about plagiarism into ethical considerations as it becomes more prevalent in schools uh, what considerations should teachers take as they kind of navigate this new technology? Yeah, I mean, I think the the big one we kind of dissected pretty well already, the plagiarism, academic integrity, those sorts of things, and just trying to sort out like what constitutes original work. Um, the other thing that we, I think, need to be building in our students is like this notion of AI literacy. So we've talked about digital literacy for a long time. AI literacy is going to be a whole other kind of like domain within that. Um, you know, how, can can students like trust the output of these systems? So you might have heard of this term hallucinate. Um, a lot of times these LLMs, these chat, these chatbots, they just make up facts. So yep. um, <laughs> I've noticed that with reading some of the, the responses, I'm like, that character's not even in the book. What are you talking about? You know? Right, right. So not only just from a learning uh, perspective, like, you know, you're not going to learn, you're, you're not going to learn everything from a bot that makes stuff up all the time, but yeah. also like, you know, how do we teach students to like trust and verify information that they get from AI systems? I think, you know, teaching students to have a healthy dose, dose of skepticism and to find more vetted, um, pieces of information or experts, uh, who can kind of like verify that output is a, is another big piece. Um, the other thing we talk a lot about is bias. So humans are inherently biased. Um, all of the things that we've produced as a human race have, have had some level of bias in them. The, these systems, they, they require massive amounts of data to train them. So we're talking like 
close to every book that's ever been published and digitized, almost every website that's ever been uh, published, historical archives, medical records and or medical journals, I should say, and academic journals and things like that. Um, all of that data, all that recorded history from us as humans um, has a, an inherent level of bias in it, depending on who authored it, right? And, and if you also think about like just the whole body of that knowledge, there's a, a lot of overrepresentation of voices. It's white men whose voices have been overrepresented in all of human history in terms of what's been published and shared, right? Only fairly recently in human history have we seen more elevation of voices of people of color and women and things like that. So the companies themselves are pretty good at trying to mitigate for that, especially like the leading companies. So what they try to do is uh, red team and test these systems to say like, um, I'm going to ask ChatGPT hundreds of questions before we release it to the public. And we're going to go through this process called fine tuning so that it doesn't give answers that uh, are racist and sexist and misogynist yeah. and those sorts of things. Because if all that data that it's trained on is biased, it has a real potential to give biased information. There's a great example of this. Like I mentioned medical journals, medical journals in the early 1900s were just laced with racist information, right? About how to treat people of different color and of different genders and things like that. So what they found, what researchers found was like ChatGPT was giving answers to certain medical questions about people of different oh, races man. that were just, yeah, they were relying on like totally outdated and awful information. And the companies had to say like, no, do not give this answer. And they had to fine tune that. Right. So that's, that sort of thing still slips through the cracks all the time. And so it's important for us as educators to teach students how to like detect that bias. And also, you know, just as a society to like keep, the company's feet to the fire about like reducing that bias uh, in its output. That's a whole, a big ethical consideration to tackle there as well. Yeah. I, th I think that's such a, a huge one because, you know, we try to teach kids as you're going to this website and learning this fact about whatever the topic might be, take the website into consideration and like, just know that that website might have bias. But I think people walk into AI thinking, Hey, this is just a computer, and computers don't have bias. They don't realize that the in there might be bias built into the inputs that go into the the computer. Yeah. One other thing I'll mention with ethics, just because I feel like it it doesn't get talked a lot about in the media right now, but I, I think about my kids. My kids are only three and five, and they're going to live in a totally different world. And even kids who aren't born yet, right? They're going to live in a world where it's really just secondhand nature to interact with AI systems. So I, I do think we have to think really hard about like what, what we want uh, at, like as people um, and, and relationships, what, what, what does it mean to like have a relationship with an AI system? Like, I think that's a question that's not that far away. <laughs> like you're going to have, you already do have people who are um, bonding with these systems because they sound like humans and they reaffirm some of their own um, needs. Like th there's an open question about like, is it better to be a really lonely person uh, who has no one to talk to or a person who at least finds some com comfort and like a listening ear from 
an AI system that sounds a lot like a human. Like that's a whole other like ethical can of worms that we're going to have to think about and how to, you know, reaffirm with our students and with our kids. Like it's still important to form human relationships and derive value from human relationships, even if these systems, you know, can mimic human behavior and, and, and language and things like that. Um, there's got to be a healthy balance. I think about like social media, right? Like we didn't really know what the negative impacts of social media were going to be. Uh, and now we're kind of, you know, in a world where we're dealing with a lot of negative yeah. impacts. I, I do think we're going to go down that road with kids and AI sooner than we might think. All I keep thinking about is the movie with Will Smith, iRobot, based on Isaac Asimov, you know, the three laws of robotics. And, and you know, you're just like, it's terrifying to think like that movie took place way in the future, but we're not that far away from from where that's going to be coming. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. that is crazy. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, uh, Justin, this is so much, so much great content right now. Um, and if it's all right with you, I'd love to push the pause button right now because we're already at the the length of an episode. And I, I think it's a good idea to turn this one into two episodes because there's so much we still need to get into with, you know, some more specifics about teacher tools and stuff like that. So if it's good with you, we're going to push the pause button right now and uh, have you back joining us next week to kind of continue this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I'm really looking forward to picking up the conversation. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Please do us a favor, as always. Give us a like, subscribe. Uh, we're trying to push more content out there on Instagram. If you could give us a follow on Instagram. And we got a couple more five-star reviews. If you want to help us out by giving us another one of those, we would absolutely love that. And uh, join us next week. We're going to be right back right back where we are now with Justin getting into some more teacher tools and AI. This is Joe and Jeff signing off, reminding you to keep going above and beyond those standards because you may not make a lot of money, but you do make a difference.